Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. I have a very special guest today. Um, he is none other than Matthew Bowles, who is the founder of the Maverick Investor Group. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. He is the co-host of the Maverick Podcast. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, I'm going to give a full disclaimer. We have a pre-existing relationship, um, which you will also hear about, um, and that Matt and I have been best friends for, I think, about 30 years we're up to now. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that and how that has informed our, our parallel entrepreneurial journeys. Um, Matt, welcome to the show. Seth, so amazing to be here. Thanks for having me. Super excited. So for those of you who, I was interviewed on Matt's Maverick podcast um, a couple months ago, and we did a walk down memory slash amnesia lane as part of that. If you haven't listened to it, I would highly suggest, we'll put a link in the show notes to his show. You should go find that. We won't rehash all of it, but we will do some of it for those of you who didn't hear that show. So we're going to go back in time, obviously, because we've got to go back a pretty little bit in time to talk about the start of your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started? That's a great question, Seth. I could throw it way back. Um, I feel like, actually, I'm going to credit you a little bit with the start to my journey, which had to do with freshman year of high school, walking into a brand new school and not knowing anybody and meeting you first day of school. And that first week, you were off to some meeting, and I said, man, Seth, where are you going? You said, I'm going to this club. It's called the Future Business Leaders of America. I said, what's that? He said, oh, so I, was, I was like, I don't know anything about business. He's like, don't worry. It's super cool. They got all these social things and dances, and you go to these state conferences. It's crazy. I was like, that sounds good. I'll go. So I went, and then you and I did Future Business Leaders of America for four years of high school and had an epic time while we were at it. Probably picked up one or two business things along the way, but uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of amazing experiences. And then I would say for me, when I went into high school, the other thing that I was really passionate about was hip-hop music, and I wanted to be a DJ out of my love for hip hop. And so I basically just asked my parents, you know, every birthday, every Christmas, every opportunity, I was like, can I get a turntable? Can I get a mixer? Can I get a speaker? Can I get a bass cabinet? Right. And then, and then any money that I, that I was able to make, you know, working at the mall or whatever I was doing in my summer job, I would spend it all buying records, you know? And so that was a passion of mine. And as I started reading more about it, I realized that there were these mobile DJs that were getting paid good money, the DJ proms and DJ weddings and DJ events. 
And I was like, man, well, now I've kind of built up this DJ system and I could really play for any crowd. Uh, so I just started putting myself out there. And basically I went to apprentice with the other DJs. You and I, of course, grew up in Buffalo. And I just went to these DJ companies. And I said, hey, can I work for you for free? I'll carry your records. I'll carry your stuff. Just show me how to do what you do. And they were like, some kid wants to work for me for free and carry my stuff. Not a problem. Come on. <laughs> so, that was an ir- your first irresistible offer. It was. How could you turn me down? I was like, don't worry. I- so they got me working for them for free, but they're teaching me how they do what they do, right? So I learned everything from the DJing aspect to the MCing aspect, right? How do you actually MC a wedding? How do you actually, you know, do that part of it and be the master of ceremonies in addition to playing the music? Learned all that stuff from them. And then what they were able to do is to start subcontracting out gigs to me because they knew I knew my stuff. I knew how to do it. And so all of these DJ companies in Buffalo would book gigs and then they'd subcontract them out for me to do them because they'd book more than they could do themselves. And then I started my own mobile DJ company also in addition to that and started, you know, marketing and getting my stuff out there and getting my own DJ gigs. And so by the time I was probably at the end of my junior year of high school, I started getting hired to DJ senior proms at other high schools. And then after that, it was, you know, every summer was proms and weddings. And then I'd come back from college in the summer and just do proms and weddings the whole summer. So all my other friends were working these nine to five jobs and I was just DJing two nights a week, having a blast. And that, I think, was really my first business awesome all right so we could talk a lot about that but we need to fast forward a little bit um so you had uh tell your second business venture that went through some iterations to evolve into what it is now um started with um a book i believe that you read in college which which are you which which are you talking about which um, business venture is my second one? I, I am counting real est- the start of your real estate adventure. Um, I am counting as as rich dad, poor dad. I got it. Yeah, which was recommended to me. I got it. Okay, so you, which was recommended to me by you as well. So you were a financial advisor at the time, and I came to you. Well, first of all, in college, I decided not to major in, in anything that was going to make me any money at all. I was like, I think I'll, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I think I'll major in sociology. I'll take like poetry writing classes. I'll just, you know, I was doing all this stuff, and then I went to graduate school for international peace and conflict resolution. I started working in nonprofits and all that stuff. So I was doing stuff that was meaningful. It was substantive. It was affecting positive change in the world. It was from the heart and I cared about it. It was good, but it was not going to make me any money. So I came to you. I said, Seth, listen, you're a financial advisor, man. What do I need to do in terms of this investment stuff? And so, <laughs> so you said, read this book. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I said, never heard of it. I'll take a look. So I read that. And, and then from that, of course, I started reading all the other books in his Rich Dad Advisor series. And then I started reading all these other investment books. And ultimately that led me to real estate investing. And so I learned how to buy rental properties and I started buying rental properties. And as I did this, then I started buying more rental properties. And as I did this, people were coming up to me and they were saying, Hey, how are you buying these rental properties? You're buying them out of state. You're buying them in different markets. You don't live in, you're not the landlord apparently, but yet you own the property. How does that whole thing work? I said, well, let me show you. Right. And I said, this is what I'm doing. So what happened was I started helping all my friends buy the same types of rental properties that I was buying. And what I noticed was that the brokerages that were specialized that were helping us to do this were making a commission, right? Or a referral fee every time me and my friends would close on the properties. Now, that was no problem with that. They were adding a whole bunch of value. That's cool. But I just noticed, I said, oh, that's an interesting business model. They help me buy something that is good for me and they get paid on it. That's cool. Uh, but I said, I'm bringing all of these people in 
And, and, you know, that's, that's a potential, you know, income stream there if I was able to monetize it. And so I had that business model kind of in the back of my mind, you know, as I was working at the nonprofit, I was like, I understand how this thing works and I'm good at it. I can, I can explain the product. I understand it and all that kind of stuff. And obviously people are already coming to me asking for advice on this and they're, you know, buying what I'm introducing them to. So obviously that's adding value. And so what happened was one day I walk into my job unexpectedly and I literally get fired with, with no notice. It was an, an absolute game changer pivot life moment for me. I remember the conversation. You remember because I think you were one of the first people I called. I was like, Seth, <laughs> this just happened. This is crazy. He said, I just and got so, fired and I said, congratulations. <laughs> he said, congratulations. First day of the rest of your life. I said, that's a good point. And so I literally on that day, right? I mean, I called a handful of people, called my mother, called you, right? I mean, a few people. And at that, on that day, I said, you know what? This is clearly a transitionary moment. It's clearly a sign for me that I'm going to go in a totally different direction. So I'm not going to apply for another job, either in the corporate world or the nonprofit world or anything else. I'm going to figure out how to start my own business. Now, there's only one problem. I had no idea how to start a business. <laughs> so you and I had a few conversations, but then I went to the bookstore and I started reading books on how to start a business, right? And fortunately, this was 2007 now, so 12 years ago. When I was going into Barnes & Noble, one day there on the table of the new business books was a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, by Timothy Ferris. I picked it up. I read the back cover. I said, that looks amazing. Sat down, read the entire book immediately the day it came out. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. One of the things that that book taught me was the importance of location independence and the freedom of mobility being as important, if not more important of a currency than money. And so when I designed my business plan, I didn't just design a financial business plan. I wanted to design a business plan that was going to facilitate my location independence as well. So I would build a business with that infrastructure from the beginning. And then I realized there was one other problem. I didn't have most of the skills required. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so what I did was I did a self audit and I basically said, okay, I'm good at this, this, and this, but I'm really bad. I have no idea how to do this, 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 but I know other people that do. And so I reached out to two other people that had totally complementary skill sets that were amazing at the things I was horrible at. And the three of us came together, formed a business partnership, and we founded Maverick Investor Group back in 2007 to help people buy rental properties in the most advantageous real estate markets, regardless of where they live. Awesome. Okay. So you started that. So talk about your location independence and how you turned what is normally a traditional bricks and mortar business, being a quote unquote real estate broker or agent, which everybody's familiar with, because you've either bought a house, sold a house, or you know someone who has, and everyone knows somebody, Aunt Carol or whoever, who's a part-time real estate broker. They might do it a few hours a week. They move a few houses a year, but they get the idea. And they think real estate agent, real estate broker, I've got to have an office. I've got to show, drive people around to see, like my wife, to see 50 different houses before they pick one. Um, I've got to be there all the time and residential real estate being feel estate, all based on emotion because you're going to live there. Talk about how you basically reinvented that business model and you have clients that you never physically see and places you've never been and changed the industry, so to speak. Yeah, we have not met in person 95% of our clients we have not met them in person. And so what we identified was the fact, first of all, that there's no need to do that for either for us or for the clients. And in fact, this actually stems back to the core value proposition of our company is actually 
relates to the location independence for us, which is that we do not want our clients to be geographically restricted in terms of where they are buying real estate. We want our clients to be able to buy real estate in the best real estate markets for investors, regardless of where they live. So if they want to live in San Francisco or they want to live in Manhattan, that's fantastic, right? Those are amazing cities to live in. But they are not good cities to buy cash flowing rental properties in. I will tell you that. So, but, but we don't want to say, oh, you got to be a landlord. You got to do the, you know, take the tenant calls at night and you got to live in the market where you own the real estate. So you can only own in San Francisco if you live in San Francisco. No, you should be able to live in San Francisco or Manhattan or Buffalo or wherever you want to live and do what you want to do with your lifestyle, have control over that and still be able to invest in the best real estate markets. The same way that if you're going to buy stock in a company, you don't care if the corporate headquarters are in your hometown. You, Seth, are not only buying stock in companies that are based in Buffalo, right? <laughs> I have not bought stock in any companies in Buffalo. <laughs> exactly. So, so in, in the same way, it's an investor mindset, right? And of course, real estate markets are all very local right? There's not one national market. Different real estate markets go up, they go down. They're more advantageous or less advantageous to buy in over time. And so what we wanted to do, first of all, was to create a client-centric value proposition that basically said, we want to work with our clients over the long term and to help them continue to build a portfolio to buy and hold, not to flip, to buy and hold cash flowing rental properties and to help them to diversify and do this across markets over time. So they're continually buying in the most advantageous real estate markets where they can get solid cash flow. There's positive economic indicators. They're locking in a really advantageous price to rent ratio and a good cash flow margin each time they buy. And we, that, so that was the concept. That was the value proposition. Now, in order to do that, we can't be based in one market, right? A traditional brokerage model, or a traditional real estate agent is confined to their own market. So they have to tell you that their market is the best one to buy in. They have nothing else to sell. They have to retrofit their marketing materials to sell the product that they have. We decided we want to do the opposite. We want to put the client's interest first. If we were to help our clients buy in the best real estate markets, how would we do that? Right. And so we can't confine ourselves and our real estate buying opportunities to one market. We need to have them open and to have them be able to move from market to market over time and help our clients buy continually in the best markets at the time that they're ready to buy. And so that alone, that business model alone does not lend itself to a geographically restrictive model. So then we said, how do we do that? Right. We are not you know, I am not an expert in all of these different markets. I don't have a, you know, real estate license in all of these different markets. So what we decided to do in our model was let's build business relationships with local market experts in those markets on the ground. Those local market experts have been doing this for years. They use their own money to buy, let's say, distressed properties, to renovate them with their own money, to lease them out to qualified tenants. And then once the property is performing, once it's cash flowing, once it has a local property manager in place who's handling the tenant and collecting the rent and dealing with the maintenance so the owner doesn't have to do it, it's being professionally managed, then those local market experts market those properties through Maverick Investor Group as a private off-market buying opportunity to our clients, right? So that is the business model. And we started doing that in a number of different markets that allows us to change markets over time, help our clients buy in the best markets, regardless of where the real estate cycle is and to live anywhere that they want. Now, as a result, that also created an opportunity for us to say we too and our staff 
want to be location independent, not tied to a location. And we one because we want to choose where we live and we want to travel at will, right? And so that gives us each the opportunity to make our own lifestyle design choices, which we and our staff have. And so our staff is all over the US and they're all over the world. Okay, so you that's a whole lot. Um, there's a lot we could unpack in that answer. Um, to oversimplify it, you're not building the property, you're not putting the tenant into place, you're not contracting with property management, you are in essence almost wholesaling, you're buying it already done for, it's built, there's someone living there, there's a lease, somebody's mowing the lawn, they're paying their rent, you're getting, there's a net cash flow, and then you're getting that property to your clients who are then, obviously you're getting paid for the sale, and then they're getting their net profit checks every month. We are a couple, yeah, and a couple clarifications there. So we are a licensed real estate brokerage. That's exactly right. We are a brokerage. We are not doing the buying or the selling. We are a real estate brokerage, except that we're not a traditional brokerage because we have a very niche specialty, yes. which is we only deal with individual real estate investor buyers that want to buy cash flowing residential investment property to own and hold as an investment. So this is not a REIT. This is not a security. This is not a real estate backed security. You're owning the hard asset. You own the deeded house. So these are single family homes, some cases, two to four unit properties. So you get all the benefits of actually owning the hard asset. You get the depreciated, you get the tax benefits, you get all of that. Okay, but you don't have to live near the property and you don't have to be the landlord because it's already been renovated. It already has a tenant in place and it already has a professional property manager collecting the rent. So for people that are busy, people that value their time, but want the value of owning the hard asset, those are our clients. That's exactly who we work with. So I write you a check. I do all this paperwork all the paperwork goes through and then I own something and I'm getting a check back every single month and I'm also getting, I'm getting the mortgage, I'm depreciating the property, I'm getting mortgage interest, tax deductions, and my equity is growing and hopefully the property also appreciates, but I'm also getting a check every month from the net profit on the property every month. That's exactly right. And so re with real estate, you're going to have your positive cash flow. So your tenant pays the rent every month after your expenses, you're going to have your positive cash flow that comes into your bank account every month. You're going to be able to depreciate the property with the tax benefits and take a phantom loss because you can depreciate it even if it's going up in value. So then what would otherwise be taxable income, you can write that off against your phantom loss and uh, knock out your tax obligation. Then of course, if the property goes up in value and appreciates, boom, now you've got equity. And if you got the mortgage, your tenant, rent is covering your mortgage. So they're paying down your mortgage principal every month. So even if the property doesn't go up, you just hold on to it. The tenant will pay down your entire mortgage principal. Eventually you'll own it free and clear, right? So all of these benefits come with owning the hard asset of real estate. And that's what we help our clients do. Okay. That is absolutely incredible. And now um, let's just go through, obviously you've had, been doing this for a long period of time and there's been ups and downs in various real estate markets along the way. So let's talk just a little bit total numbers. Um, I believe um, what are dollar volume in terms of real estate you've transacted this way since inception? I mean, my business partners and I have definitely helped people buy certainly, I would say total in our, in all of our individual careers, probably about a hundred million dollars of real estate, you know, at least over 50, over 50 million for sure since Maverick was founded. And this is probably across, you know, over a dozen States in the U S. So a lot of different real estate markets that we have worked in over that time. Okay. So that's obviously incredible and way more than a traditional real estate 
agent or broker would conceive of moving full time in their own office in their own town in the same time period. So unless they were doing, you know, unless they're on million dollar listing or something like that. Um, only then are their numbers going to come close. So let's talk about your location independence because the way you set this up was so you could be independent. Talk a little bit about your travel adventures over the last few years. Well, I am doing this interview today live from West Africa. I am in Dakar in Senegal, which is right on the beach. It's an amazing West African city. And I just got here about three days ago. I have been in Africa for the last four months, almost five months now. So I was in Cape Town in South Africa for two months. I was in Lagos, Nigeria for a month. Uh, I was in Accra, Ghana for a month, just went through the Ivory Coast, and now I'm in Dakar in Senegal. And so, you know, that's, those are just my travel choices because I've never been to this part of the world. I initially, when we started Maverick Investor Group, I was based in Los Angeles, California, and I had no business purpose there at all. My business partners were not there. We were in all different cities since we founded our company. We weren't doing any real estate in Los Angeles. I had no purpose of being there. I was just there because I liked the palm trees and the beaches. And I was in a relationship at the time and things like that. But I decided to leave the U.S. and start traveling around the world in the about six years ago. So summer of 2013. And I said, well, if I can live in LA and I have no business purpose here, I can live in any city in the world. And so I went to Buenos Aires in Argentina for three months. And that was amazing. And then I went over to the Middle East. I lived in Cairo, Egypt. I, and then I just started traveling all around. So in the last six years, I have lived. And when I say lived, I mean, I have no permanent base in the United States. So have spent time in over 50, five, zero different countries on six continents in the last six years. So that is obviously more than most people get to in five or 10 lifetimes. Um, so that's incredible. Now, you, do you speak any foreign languages other than any languages other than English? So depending on how long I'm in a place and depending on how much of the population speaks English, I will definitely make an effort to learn some of the language. So in some cases, like, in 2017, I was in Spanish-speaking countries in South America for six consecutive months. And so that was really helpful to kind of get into the groove of speaking Spanish. But sometimes I'll go places for just a much shorter period of time. Like I, would live, I lived in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil for two months. And I learned enough Portuguese to get by while I was there. But then when you leave, you kind of forget that if you don't practice it, right? So I'll make an effort to learn a bit of the local language because I feel like that's a cool part of the cultural experience to at least be able to say some basic things to the local people there and, and kind of, because I also like to stay places for a while, right? Like I don't go. You're not in and out in a couple of days, like, or a week, like a tourist might be, you're there for a month or months, plural. Right. And you are not living in the Ritz Carlton or Marriott's. You have no fixed permanent address or mortgage. So talk a little bit about how you've been able to pull that off and how that's changed over the last six years. Yeah. So when I started, it was Airbnbs and I was like, wow, Airbnb is amazing. This is crazy. You know, like 10 years before I started, there was no Airbnb and you would have either had to go to a hotel or find a traditional real estate broker to rent you a long-term apartment or something. Whereas Airbnb, you're in on whatever date you want out on whatever date you want. So that can be that can be a month. It can be three months. And then you have an apartment, you know, with a kitchen and everything. And you just, you live there. That is your place where you reside. Right. And so I do like to do that. I like to go for a month, two months, three months, 
Um, the longest day I did was about nine months, which was in Cairo in Egypt. But I like to live in places, go to the grocery store, you know, and buy food and live there and go to your local coffee shop and get to know those people and every, you know, all that kind of stuff to feel like a resident as opposed to a tourist. I also like to get into a regular lifestyle groove. I'm, of course, working, I'm running a business. And so, you know, I'm not just racing around to museums and taking selfies in front of monuments and, you know, doing all that stuff. I'm actually a resident. I actually live there, right? And so for me, I really, really like that, you know, the duration of that time. And so the, the thing that happened, Happened though, and I'll, I'll share this with you as I started doing this. And initially when I was traveling, uh, when I left the US, I was in a relationship, as I mentioned, right? And so my relationship partner and I traveled together. She and I were traveling together for probably about two and a half years. And then when we broke up, I, I wanted to continue traveling, but I was really starting to feel a loneliness, right? Because even if you're traveling with one other person, it gets quite lonely if you're doing it long term without a social community. And so what's happened in the last four or five years, which has been so exciting, is that companies have come into the space to cater to people like me, right? People that can work remotely, either their job lets them work remotely, they're a freelancer, or they run a location-independent business, one of those three categories. They can generate remote income from somewhere else in the world. They don't have to be in a fixed location. For those people that want to travel the world, but they want to do it as part of a community and have that social base, there have now been a handful of companies that have come up and said, you can now do this. We will facilitate this and you can sign up for, in some cases, a year. The first one that I did was called Remote Year. It was a 12-month commitment and you travel the world for a year with a group of about 50 people. You don't know any of them before it starts and you meet each other and your, com your community for the whole year and you stay in a different city each month for 12 months across four continents and you travel the world together. And it was unbelievable. And then after I've done that, I've plugged into other groups for shorter term durations, a month or two months or three months, and you can just go around the world. So now most of the travel that I do, I'm landing in a city I've never been in, but I have a group of you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 people there. They know I'm coming, they wanna hang out with me and have an immediate social community. So it's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And I believe the term for that is digital nomad now. A lot of people call us that. That's, I'll accept that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Digital nomads, just people that can work remotely from anywhere in the world and choose to exercise their location independence to go and live in cool places. Okay. So what do you like best about what you do and what do you like best about where you're doing it from? Um, so in terms of the business, what I like best about it is that, you know, when, when we structured sort of our why, if you will, why do we do what we do? Number one, we are helping our clients build their wealth and create their passive income and expand their own location independence, right? So as our clients buy property after property after property and build their portfolio, their stream of passive income increases, covers more of their living expenses. They have to work less at their job, right? And so that really helps them to create more freedom. And whether, however they want to choose to spend that is fine, right? I mean, they, they, some people might choose to travel the world. Some people might just say, hey, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to coach my kids soccer games. I don't want to have to work as much. That's totally fine. You, you, that's the whole point is you have freedom of choice that you live in your life on your terms, whatever those are. But we help our clients to do that. And then we also created a mechanism in our company where we committed to giving back 10% of our net revenue before we take anything out of the company for ourselves, 10% of our net revenue, we donate that to causes that affect positive change in the world that we care about. And so as our business does better, 
so too do the charities that we contribute to. And so that really inspires and motivates us as well, right? So, so for me, that's really what is inspiring about the business model that we do. And then in terms of the lifestyle, man, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, it is, you know, I, 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 on the one hand, I don't want to entirely romanticize it, that it's, it's perfect because obviously you have hard times and challenges, you know, just like you would anywhere. And sometimes with traveling, there's different types of snafus or different things that go on. But I will tell you, man, it, it is pretty romantic. <laughs> I mean, it is, it, is, it is amazing. I mean, I, I'm getting to see some of the most incredible places in the world, some of the most beautiful landscapes on the planet of Earth, some of the most gorgeous beaches and mountains and all that kind of stuff, some of the most amazing cities, eat some of the best food, and the people that I'm meeting that I'm spending time with, you know, other people that choose to do this lifestyle, some of the most interesting people in the world. And these are the people that I'm interviewing on my podcast, right? I'm literally meeting people that are just doing totally epic things. They've built these incredible businesses. They're designing their lifestyle in these amazing ways. I find myself in conversations with these people. It's like a rooftop, you know, a bar somewhere. And we're just having this insane conversation. And I was, I started saying, you know what? I want to record this and share it with other people. So that's literally what inspired me to start the Maverick Show podcast. That is absolutely awesome. With all the success you've achieved what's your biggest challenge now oh man the biggest challenge i would say you know just for us i mean we we're trying to think about you know how do we want to scale this how do we want to expand this you know without doing it at a at a degree that's going to compromise you know any of the boutiqueness that we've kind of created and so i think you know for me i'm just thinking about how can we add more value to our clients in different ways and expand the things that we're doing you know, without scaling it to a degree that decreases the personality, you know, the personalness or anything like that. So for example, we do customize individual consultations with every single client. We're in regular touch with all of our clients. They can always reach us. You know, we want a long-term relationship with every single client for the next 20 years. You know, we want to help them continue to build their portfolios and build their wealth and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that we're thinking about now is like when we're talking about expansion and we're talking about growth, you know, how do we add more value to our clients and how do we scale this without compromising any of the boutiqueness and the sort of individual customization that we have prided ourselves on? That is awesome. So, what, so if we have folks who are listening or watching who are interested in Maverick Investor Group and what they do and what you guys are doing, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you and learn more? So first of all, I will offer them a free piece of content, which is a really great place to start. So I put a lot of my knowledge and experience into a single free report. It's a white paper and it's called how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes that real estate investors are making in today's market. So the first thing I want to do is offer that, that to them for absolutely free. So anybody listening can just go to the maverickshow.com slash sharkpreneur. And you can grab that absolutely free. It's a really good piece of content to start with. It'll give you a total overview of exactly what we do, how we do it and all of that. And it'll also give you an opportunity to schedule a phone consult with us. If um, Seth, just because this is your podcast, um, if people want to contact me directly, they can absolutely do that. Um, my email, my direct personal email is just Matt. That's M-A-T-T -T, at Maverick Investor 
group.com. So you can literally just email me and just put something like, you know, Sharkpreneur podcast in the, in the subject line and I'll respond to you personally. I mean, so I want to just offer that to people as well. If you have questions and then I can see where you are and we can make sure we get you into the system in the right way. And then if people want to follow me on Instagram and, you know, check out the travel pics and the nomad life and all that kind of stuff, my personal Instagram handle is at Matt Bowles Maverick, M-A-T-T-B-O-W-L-E-S-M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K. And you can hit me up on Instagram if you're on that platform. Awesome. Thank you very much. That's very generous of you to give out your personal email. Most people don't do that. So let's, since you've been in so many different real estate markets, you've been through the boom and bust cycle as a company and personally, um, talk a little bit about some of the lessons you've learned going through both sides of the cycle. Big time, big time, big time, big time lessons. It was actually, I actually feel really fortunate and this is going to sound crazy now. I mean, it would have sounded crazy back then, but I actually feel fortunate that we got to see that because as you know, Seth, because you and I were of course in touch through all of this uh, time, the, there was this incredible amount of irrational exuberance with the last real estate boom cycle. You know, we're talking now, you know, the 2004, five, six period. And people thought the real estate market was going to go up at the same level forever. And what they started doing was, including myself, by the way, I started speculating on real estate, right? And pretty much everybody I know, including the most sophisticated real estate investors, all were, got caught up in this and everybody, you know, had this crazy awakening. And so the main thing that came out of that for me personally, and also for, you know, for our company, uh, which we enshrined because we were starting right at that time, right? And so what we found very early was that we wanted to help our clients avoid those mistakes and not to buy based on speculation, but rather to buy based on real estate fundamentals. So let me explain what I mean by that. People got really hurt in the last real estate downturn because they were buying properties that could not positively cash flow on their own with a 30-year fixed principal and interest mortgage and all the expenses and factoring a reasonable vacancy and maintenance assumption. If you do all that, the amount of income that was coming in from the rent was not going to cover it all. So they were buying negative cash flowing properties. So they were getting, you know, mortgages that were going to adjust. So they were getting things like that. And they were assuming that the market was going to go up, that they could buy it and they could then sell it for a profit and make a capital gain um, and endure the negative cash flow in the meantime, or take the adjustable rate, you know, sell before the rate adjusted or whatever was going on. And so that was not based on buying on real estate fundamentals. And so when those things didn't work out, they did not have an asset that was producing a reliable stream of income and cash flow that they could fall back on. Okay. So that's why we had the massive foreclosure crisis, right? I mean, in terms of, in terms of the investor side of it, not the homeowner side of it, but the investor side of it. So, um, so what we took from that immediately was let's exclusively help our clients buy based on real estate fundamentals, meaning that you're going to make your money when you buy, regardless of what the market does in the future. So if you buy a cash flowing single family home where your tenant's rent is going to cover your taxes, your insurance, your property management fee, your mortgage principal and interest on a fixed rate mortgage for 30 years. And it's going to cover a reasonable vacancy assumption and a reasonable assumption for repairs. And on top of that, you've still got positive cash flow coming into you every single month. 
if you buy that type of asset and it's in a strong market, meaning lower than average unemployment, people are moving into the market, right? There's positive upward pressure on rents and those types of dynamics, right? Which we help all, all of our clients uh, look at and ascertain. Then whether the housing market goes up or it goes down isn't going to affect you very much because you have an asset that continues to put cash in your pocket every single month. So you don't need to watch the housing market very closely. You're not going to sell in the next six months or the next year or the next two years. And you don't really care what the housing market does day to day because you made your money when you bought because you locked in a stream of income. Okay. So that is an incredible lesson. I remember how painful it was to learn. Um, so that is awesome that you got it. Um, sucks at how you got it, but obviously has made you and your clients a lot of money and avoid a lot of mistakes since then, some of which I'm sure are in that report that you offered to give away. Um, so now let's talk about the happy side. Favorite place you've ever been and why? Oh, man. Meaning like just a travel destination? Yes. I got to pick one. Key countries. All right, give me your top three and why. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pick them on different continents. Um, I'm going to pick Thailand in Asia. Thailand is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. The cost of living in Thailand will blow your mind. It is unbelievably inexpensive. People from the U.S., I mean, if I start telling you how much it costs there, I mean, it, people would, their minds would be blown, right? Like you can literally, if you want to rent an apartment in Thailand for a month, a full, let's say a studio apartment, um, you know, for a couple or something like that for a month with, with all the utilities and Wi-Fi and everything included fully furnished, it would be about 300 us dollars for the month. Okay. If you go to a highly recommended restaurant, you order a seafood entree, let's say you order a shrimp curry at a really good Thai restaurant, three us dollars for the dinner. I mean, for your entree, right? I mean, so like those are the kind of prices we're talking about. The food is unbelievable. It is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. And they're some of the warmest and sweetest people you will ever meet. It's also a fascinating cultural place. Thailand was the only uh, uh, country in that region in Southeast Asia that was never colonized. And so it's a lot of really incredible cultural authenticity there. So in Asia, I'm going to go with Thailand. In South America, I think I got to go with Brazil, it is one of the most just unbelievable countries I've ever seen. I'm really into street art and graffiti art, and Brazil has some of the most amazing in the world. The music scene, the street parties, I was there for Carnival. I mean, it's just, it has probably the most extraordinary beach culture on the planet of Earth, Ipanema Beach in Rio unreal but even inland when you go to sao paulo and these kind of places i mean the food scene if you're into culinary stuff street art as i said music i mean it's unbelievable so brazil is enormous i've only seen a fraction of it i've been three times but i'm gonna pick that in south america and then oh man europe if i were to pick a country in europe it's a tough one i might go with spain Spain just has so many different types of places. The food and the wine are so good. And I always just have an incredible time in Spain, whether you're on the islands like the Canary Islands or the Balearic Islands or Barcelona, Madrid. I've been to the Basque country for a month in the north. I've been to Andalusia for uh, a good bit of time in the south. And it's just a super diverse and amazing country. The consistency being the food and the wine are just ridiculous off the chart. So I'll pick those three on three different continents. Awesome. And then for our listeners who are either going to go back and listen to my interview on your show or who want to, I'm going to, I'm going to go, since we did top three countries, I'm going to go top two um, antics, 
of our situation, of our friendship in the last 30 years, but you can't count Wellsville because we already told that story. <laughs> oh, man. Antics. Let's see. Well, there was the time when you and I went to an FBLA conference in Rochester and we were walking through a shopping center and they were offering to airbrush your clothing, right? So this would be permanently like creating a paint, um, a permanent paint airbrush paint uh, thing on your clothing and you could get them to do whatever you want. And so time, I mean, we got to contextualize this This is early nineties. And so your favorite rapper at the time was ice T and my favorite rapper at the time was Chuck D from public enemy. And so you and I were like, you know what? Let's do this. And we're not going to tell our parents. We're like 14 or something, right? So, uh, or 15 or something around there. And so we're like, okay. So we bring our pants and then we, uh, they did it up. And so then we like, I, I don't even remember how this unfolded. I think we just rolled back and all of a sudden, like our parents just noticed that we had this like airbrushed, like spray paint looking, you know, hip hop artists on our jeans. And they were like, um, what is, what is that new feature on your clothing? So I feel like, I feel like that was one of them. And then, uh, oh man, there were so many, dude. I don't what, what else are we talking about? The Wellsville one was epic. That was epic. That's on my podcast. Now, people got to hear that story about when you and I, when I would take you on my DJ gigs with me, that was completely epic. But, you know, we got into so many different things. I don't know. Is there another one, another story you think I should tell? I, that's hard to narrow it down, which is why I'm glad you're on the other side of the mic this time because you made me do it. <laughs> so turnabout is fair play. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, man. Oh, geez, dude. There were so many. I feel like, you know what I feel like we did though? I mean, just going back to like, the, oh, I, I got it, dude. I know what we would do. You and I would, you and I would, <laughs> you and I would set up casinos in the hotel rooms of these conferences, right? And so the other thing is that you, you were a magician even back in high school, right? You developed that into a, a high-level professional thing. But even back in high school, we were doing like three-card Monty, you know, and like the shell games and like, you know, with the kids in, in school and stuff like that. And then we would go and then, but we parlayed that into setting up these casino environments where, um, we would go, we would turn our hotel room cause we take, you know, it'd be like a class, an FBLA conference. So it'd be like a whole bunch of people, like 25 kids from our school would go and we'd all have these hotel rooms in the hotel block for the conference. And so we would, you and I would set up these casinos and we would be the house, right? Because everybody's like, Oh, I want to play a casino game and I'm going to be the player. And you and I were like, you know what? That's great. We'll be the house. So we'll have the house rules on our side. And you'll have, so we would set these casinos up. We'd have craps table. In the hotel. We're like, we're like 15 years old. We like unveiling these like felts of like for like craps tables and blackjack tables and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And so I feel like we were running like all of these different business ventures, shall we call them, <laughs> that, that people were happy to, you know, participate in. So yeah, epic though. High school for me and you was, was insane. All right. So I will add a couple things to that story and then we'll wrap up. Um, we, that ultimately graduated to an actual casino table um, and graduated beyond just a, felt la- a couple felt layouts on beds. Um, and I still own that table. It, is a, it, it also transforms into a coffee table that is in my living room. Um, but my children ask on a regular basis, Daddy, can we play casino? Um, and so it is, I, we break out the craps table, the roulette table, the blackjack table, and we play. And it was, it's been a great way to teach them math and odds and probability. 
Um, although and, why, and, and why you always want to be the house. <laughs> except, you know, Lily is six, so at the time that we're recording this, so all she wants to do is be the person who gets to drop the roulette ball in when it spins, because, um, you know, she's six, whereas Max is going, no, you got to calculate the odds, and listen, this is the way you got to bet. And I said, oh, my God, he's me, so that's awesome. Um, and the second thing I will add to that story is that I did not know it at the time, but my future brother-in-law was one of our patrons, and um, I was not, um, so I was not friends with my wife in high school, but I knew who she was. She happened to be one of your best friends. And then when we ended up dating and talking about our histories and we, she was like, oh, Matt was my best friend. I'm like, oh my God, Matt was my best friend. And then that was we, insane. That was, we, that was one of my like happiest moments, like of oh all time. God. Can I just tell you that? No, I'm saying it totally was because I was in high school and yes, I was independently, like I had all these different friends groups. Right. I mean, I was on the basketball team. So I had that right. crowd and then the FBLA crowd and then this, uh, all this kind of stuff. And so I was super good friends with Rebecca and I was super good friends with you, but they were totally different friend groups. And right. Cause she was in the cheerleader it. crowd, which I was not friends with. <laughs> right. Which was with the basketball crowd. Right. right so right. we all hung out with them. And I, I mean, she was an amazingly good friend of mine. And I remember, I mean, I literally to this day remember like, you know, when I broke up with my first girlfriend I ever, this. who yep. was a cheerleader, yep. I went to Rebecca and she consoled me and you did two separately, by the way, it was like, it was two separate like consolations. Class. Yep. But I, I, but I literally remember them to this day. Right. Cause they were both so meaningful. And then all of a sudden, a year or whatever, well, however many years many it was, years after, later, many yeah. years later, right? Um, after college and stuff like that, all of a sudden I hear that you two are dating. And then immediately after that, it was like engaged, married. I was like, this is the greatest thing. This was perfect thing I've ever heard. This is crazy. So that was really awesome. Yes. And then it's so funny because when um, she and I started dating and then we made that connection that we both had you in common. And then she's, we, some stories were shared, not all of them. Some of them will remain private forever. Um, but like, she's like, oh my God, you did FBLA. My little brother was in FBLA and he was a couple of years behind you. And then she showed me a picture. I'm like, oh my God, I totally remember him coming and, you know, donating to our profit margin. Um, and little did I know that, you know, I would end up as a member of the family. Uh, and so then I, the first time I met him, after dating his sister, I said, you know, I'm sorry about that. And he's like, dude, I had a good time. It's all good. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So we gave out Maverick Invest, the maverickshow.com slash sharkpreneur. Um, and Matt at maverickinvestorgroup.com is where people can find you. Any parting words you want to share with our audience? Uh, well, <laughs> just to clarify. I talk so about that I didn't ask you. Oh, well, so, well, free report, maverickinvestorgroup.com slash sharkpreneur. So I just want to make sure you go to the website there. We can link that in the show notes. The podcast, though, if you're interested in the podcast, it is themaverickshow.com. So that is the right, uh, that is the right URL for the podcast. If you want to listen, we publish every Monday and it is, you know, the, the subtitle of the show is Adventures in Real Estate Entrepreneurship and World Travel. So my goal is to interview the most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers today, people that I'm meeting that are just doing extraordinary things, have amazing lives. And I'm basically breaking down with them exactly how they did what they did and breaking it into actionable steps that other people can do. So whether you want to live an increasingly location independent nomadic lifestyle, whether you want to build your business, whether you want to invest in real estate, whatever it is, there are episodes that go very deep into all this stuff. So uh, it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, just search for the Maverick show with Matt Bowles, or you can go to the 
and you can just check it out there. But definitely start by listening to the Seth's episode because it was epic and amazing. Insane value and also hysterical. We tell a whole bunch of more stories that are really, really awesome. So we'll link that up in your show notes as well and send people there. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening or watching. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. been an awesome episode. We greatly appreciate your time. Thanks, buddy. What time is it where you are, by the way? It is uh, 4.45 p.m., so I'm just four hours ahead. Oh, okay. You're, it's not bad. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure we weren't doing it like two in the morning. I do those sometimes. I bet. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. We'll talk to you, and we'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.